Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 136, and we are recording on Monday, September 19th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Kendra Winchester, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Kendra. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I was about to ask you how you're doing, but uh, I know you've been a bit <laughs> under the weather. Uh, yeah. Um, I, As I was telling someone, I was playing the... Um, is it cold or is it COVID game last week? And it wasn't a cold. It was COVID. So um, I am very relieved to be upright and able to record right now, because if this had been a couple of days ago, that just would not have been possible. Like after I tested positive, which of course I didn't test positive until like a couple of days after symptoms started. And then once I tested positive, I, it was like, I just, I felt like I'd been hit with a brick. And then at one point I got up, like, I had to take a shower because I I had this fever that just would not go away. And I took like a five minute shower and that just sapped all my energy. And I had to go right back to sleep for like another five or six hours. It's, it's been rough. And the worst of the symptoms are thankfully gone by this point, but I have a feeling that the building the energy back up and not feeling like I'm going to like, you know, keel over every time I stand up and walk, you know, 10 feet to the refrigerator and back to the couch that I'm not feeling like I'm gonna, I'm gonna die. So (laughs) that's gonna take a little bit longer, but it's better than it was. I'm grateful I'm not usually this sick. I can't remember last time I was, I was actually this sick. So I guess I've been saving it up. And uh, (laughs) I'll use this as an opportunity to tell everyone if you haven't, if you're eligible for a booster and you haven't gotten it yet, go get your boosters. Yes. Yes. And wear masks as appropriate, Mm -hmm. which is a lot. So uh, that would be great. And I am sending you good vibes. Thank you. From the Southeast. I was thinking how many miles that would be. That'd be a lot of miles, but good vibes can make it. I have faith. Good vibes can, yeah, no, good vibes can, can, I, uh, they, they can traverse long distances. I appreciate that. Um, I also have fantastic coworkers who have been holding down the fort without me, even though several of them have now developed their own cold, their own cold symptoms. One coworker just texted me tonight that she tested positive for COVID as well. And... Yeah, yeah, it's 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 going to be an interesting week, and my coworkers have persuaded me to uh, work from home tomorrow. Tomorrow, I was supposed to be tomorrow, as in Tuesday. I am eligible for to go back to the building based on CDC recommendations, but my energy levels just qu- aren't there yet. And my coworkers are like, "Why don't you just stay home and like you know just take a breather? Don't push yourself." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah." <sighs> So, yeah. So I was gonna say that's been the that's been the last five days or so. I I sincerely hope you've been having a better time of it on your end. Um. Well, I don't. I don't have COVID. I have been just writing. It's a deadline week here in the Winchester household. Gwenlian and Dylan have been useless as always. <laughs> I did have an event where I gave I I try to switch up their snacks and I give them veggies and fruit and whatever. So I gave them blackberries. And so I uh, I gave them a few hours later. I see this mark on Dylan's face and I'm like, <gasps> oh no, is he bleeding? Like what's happening? And I rush over and it's actually just blackberry juice all over <laughs> the side of his face. <laughs> Apparently he rolled on it. I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah, as soon as you said a few hours later, you looked at his face. I went, uh oh, he's got a smushed blackberry, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, and we found um, he'd stained one of their their pet carpets, which I put over the um, couch. I got them when Gwen Lane was a puppy to avoid accidents on the couch, <laughs> and so it was like just a stain of blackberry juice. And I'm like, okay, I know where he ate his blackberries. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. That reminds me, a friend of mine. Um, actually, it was a former boss of mine in college, but she would bring her dog to work on campus and he loved he loved veggies for treats. And so she would bring cut up carrots for him as a snack. And I remember feeding him carrots and he was just so happy. And I'm like, oh, you're eating healthier than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they really love it. And we I tried to start them out really young with it. Dylan will not eat raw certain raw veggies, but Gwen Lee will eat anything. And it's just mainly because corgis have a tendency to be a little more robust, as it were, <laughs> as they get older. So I um, tried to get them used to eating that early. And so they they enjoy that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh, I, I have a cat that could probably go on a veggie heavy diet. <laughs> he's he's a little robust. A little plump. <laughs> yes. He's turning into a he's turning into a meatloaf. You know, that recommended, <sighs> you know, diet changes or whatever. Like, okay, well, we love you and everybody is a beach body, but your vet has requested this. So <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the thing. And I'm I'm like I'm like, you're adorable and we love you no matter how you what you look like or what your size is, but there are health issues that I am responsible for. <laughs> so oh, all right. Well, have you been had a chance to read much of anything. I was, perhaps not surprisingly, COVID has kind of uh, diminished a big chunk of my ability to sit and concentrate on anything. So so yes, I have actually just finished uh, a very creepy story that I think you will really enjoy. And that is Revelator uh, by Daryl Gregory. And it is a story about Stella, who is taken back to her family's home in Tennessee. And she discovers that her family worships this god, and the young girls in the family have all gone in, and they commune with the god and come out with the god's revelations, which is why she's called the Revelator. And it's very creepy, as I said, but it's also a Slender Man story, which kind of goes with our discussion of cryptids. Was it last week? Was it just two weeks ago? <laughs> Last episode. <laughs> yeah. So I think you would really like this. It's super creepy, perfect for spooky season. Oh, yeah. I know Daryl Gregory has a reputation for writing those kind of like, I don't want to call it Southern Gothic necessarily, but just his books are supposed to have that kind of like edge to them. And just the whole description of that just sounds absolutely amazing. And I need to add that to my TBR ASAP. <laughs> well, what have you been reading? Well, when I was still working <laughs> and commuting, and I, I was I was making really great progress through the audio version of The Jigsaw Man by Nadine Matheson, which I talked about last episode. So I won't go into any plot details here. But yeah, it, so I've, I've got maybe a couple of hours left on the audiobook so maybe i can maybe i can try to uh pop that in and maybe you know like if i say work up the energy to do like a loaded load of dishes or something cuz 
my husband, who is currently at his parents' house, he was cat-sitting for them and then just decided to make his stay a lot longer when I found out that I had tested positive for COVID. So he's going to be there for a few days still, but he did kindly ask me to um, sanitize the apartment as best I can (laughs) before he gets home. And I was like, oh, I will. But while I, you know, since that's probably going to take a little longer than it might otherwise would, that might be a good time to put on an audiobook to motivate me, but um, still very much enjoying it. Um, it is very dark, as as I mentioned before. So go into that prepared and, you know, make sure that that's, you know, what you're looking for. But I'm very much enjoying that one. All right. So then before we jump into the meat of this episode, let's go ahead and hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right. So if you are a new listener, welcome. We are delighted to have you. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. We are so happy that you continue to tune in every two weeks to listen to us talk about mysteries and suspense and thrillers and true crime and all of that fun stuff. So I do apologize for the raspiness of my voice. Like I said, COVID's taken quite a physical toll on me, but we're just we're just going to muscle through it and see where we are by the end. So this is the part of the episode where we always put out a call to our listeners to let us know if you have any suggestions for upcoming episodes, because they really, truly do help us plan so many of the episodes that we've recorded in the past. It helps us 
expand our own reading horizons. It helps us know what you, the listeners, would like to hear more of. So whether you're looking for reading recommendations for a subgenre that we haven't talked about much, or author read-alikes, or we could be talking about big awards, or big movie adaptations, or a big piece of true crime news, anything along those lines. If it's mysterious and suspenseful, it is fair game for us to talk about. So if you have any ideas or recommendations, you can shoot us an email or reach out to us via social media. We're going to have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes, so you don't have to worry about getting it down right now. We just put out the call ahead of time to help you get those creative juices flowing while you listen. And even if you do not have an idea and you just want to say hi, we love hearing from our listeners. It makes us happy to know that all of you enjoy listening to us talk every two weeks, which to me, I mean, this podcast has been going for over five years at this point, which I'm like, that's not possible. I'm not, (laughs) how am I old enough to have been doing anything for five years? But, um, but we love hearing from everyone. Yeah, it's it's just, it's not, it's, I'm like, what is time? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. It's quite the span of time there. Yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that makes me step back and be like, wait, where did all of these years go? (laughs) The pandemic is where we ate a couple of them for sure. But (laughs) we just keep podcasting. We do. As someone who just arrived, yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. No, we we keep the light on for, for everyone. Um, And then real quick, if you enjoy this podcast, which hopefully is all of you, definitely leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us. All right. And with that, um, let's jump in really quick to the new segment. The Anthony Award winners were just announced last week or the week. They were announced since we last did did our last (laughs) recording. Um, They were announced at the annual BoucherCon. And the I think the big news from uh, from the Anthony Awards is that S.A. Cosby won the Best Novel Award for the second consecutive year. I mean, he really is that amazing. Yeah. Yeah, this one was for Razorblade Tears, which I read earlier this year, I think when Nezra and I were doing our Edgar Award-themed sh- show, and we were reading some of the different nominees. And yeah, I did read Razorblade Tears, and it was intense, and it was it was gritty, and it was yeah. Th- there was there was a lot happening, a lot happening in that book, but it had so much heart, and it was, oh, it was such a good book. I'm not surprised at all that he's won for both of his for both of his novels. Yes, and he also won a short story prize this year as well, didn't he? Oh yes, he did. He did. Um, That one I have not read, but he won the best short story for Not My Cross to Bear. And I'm not sure if that was included in an anthology or if that was written for a magazine. The link that I have does not give uh, give those specific details, but he definitely did win for best short story. And there's also Arsenic and Adobo won for best first novel, which I know is a huge Book Riot favorite. Yes, yes. And although I remember looking at something, and I think the 
third book in the series is going to be coming out shortly. So I know that these awards were given for books that were published like last year, but I'm I'm like, wait a minute, how is this now just winning first, best first <laughs> novel? Shouldn't they have gotten to that already? But yes, Arsenic and Adobo is definitely a Book Riot favorite. Have you read it? I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I haven't read it either, but I've heard nothing but good things. So I mean, I, I trust I trust the process. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. No, I trust the process. I trust the readers. I trust what I've read about the book. I've handed it to multiple people at my library who are looking for something lighthearted. So that is, yeah, that one was really exciting as well. Really, yeah, really good, good, good roundup for for this crop of winners. Yes. And of course, as always, that will be in our show notes. And now I guess it's time to talk about banned books. It is banned books week this week. Mm-hmm. And so, Katie, you are a librarian. You're doing the good work out there, holding down the fort, and also, you know, are part of these discussions. So from your perspective, what is Banned Books Week like for you, and, and why is it so important? Well, this year, last year um, and this year, the word I would use is depressing. <laughs> and I say, that, I say that knowing it's like we, the, the librarians and the, the schools – the teachers, the library staff are fighting the good fight to protect people's freedom to read, their intellectual freedom, all of that fun stuff. But the scope of the the degree to which books are being challenged right now is just enormous. And when I was putting together some statistics for our banned books display this year, and in fact, we're not even going to be putting books on our banned book display. We're doing book covers, like a collage of just dozens and dozens and dozens of book covers to indicate visually the scope to which this is ha- this is happening. But we're also going to be putting up informational resources and facts that the American Library Association has put out. And to just kind of give some comparison, in 2019, the American Library Association reported 370-some uh, challenges to specific books there that were reported by schools and libraries. And that's not a 100% accurate number because a lot of these incidents don't get reported, but that's the number that they work with every year. 2020 was a bust because, I mean, everything was just in chaos. So that that's kind of an outlier. 2021, that number doubled. So it went from 370-some to over, I think, 750 instances of people trying to uh, ban or challenge, yeah, trying trying to get books removed from schools and libraries. My goodness. Yeah, and the number of, the number of individual titles tripled. It went from 500-some in 2019 to over 1,500 in 2021. And now, usually, the American Library Association waits until the year is complete to put out the numbers that they've been receiving. But in 2022, we're only through the first eight months of the year, we're already on pace to smash the number of challenges from last year. And already the number of individual titles that have been challenged is already higher than it was in 2021. It's at 1600. Um, so to say that this is a that this is a problem is like the understatement of the century. And I do, I tell people I'm steeped in this every week because I do the library newsletter for Book Riot. And 
I do the Tuesday newsletters talk about books and or like collection development stuff, but the Friday newsletters talk about news related stuff. And that's where I talk about banned books. And it's just an enormous number of news items that come out every week. More books are being banned. Hundreds of books are being challenged or even just flat out removed all at once from school districts or libraries. The backlash to schools or libraries electing to keep books on the shelves that have been, people have demanded that the books be removed. The backlash is just is intensifying and at an exponential rate. So yeah, so Banned Books Week is, I say depressing, but it is more important than ever. And yeah, and there's, I mean, quite frankly, there no, there's, I, I want to say no book, is, no book is safe, but there we're seeing a lot of trends. And I know this is going to kind of jump into where we start, where we start talking about some of the books that we picked, but most of the books that are being challenged either focus on issues of race and racism, or they focus on, they're written by or about um, LGBTQ people. And these by far are the books that are being pushed, that people are trying really hard to push out of schools and libraries. And I am going to step off of my soapbox <laughs> because you, I was going to say, you get me up here, I'm going to, I'm going to start going for hours. But, but yeah, it's, um, it's a very important thing. And it's something that we need to be aware of, not just during this week, but year round, this is, this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. And the numbers, the numbers have been staggering. I mean, I've participated in some sort of online band books thing, for you know, almost a decade now, and the numbers now are just astronomical. It used to be like banning books was an outlier. There would be some big stories, but now it's all day, every day. And it's just, mm -hmm. as someone who is not a professional librarian, I feel like when I notice, it's too late, you know, um, because librarians have always been on top of this and are really the champions of books and getting books into the hands of, you know, kids at schools, kids in libraries, you know, adults at libraries. So thank you for, for doing that and being on the front lines, as it were. Yeah. And here's just a note to just a quick side note to, to anyone. If you, um, uh, if you do not work in libraries, but you know that, you're, uh, that your library is facing something like that right now or that your librarians are dealing with this, please write, them an, uh, write the director a note, write the board a note, voice your support for what they're doing and for the books that your library provides, because we hear from the people who are upset. We don't hear from the people mm. who want these types of books in schools and libraries. We need more people to speak out. So that's that's going to be my little call to action for this for this episode. But with that, we decided that, you know, since there's there's plenty of books to choose from, but we decided that we would um, each pick a couple of mystery or crime, true crime, some some at least some kind of tangentially related title. Um, and I thought we could, you know, talk about it and then you know, or talk about the, the books and, you know, why, why are these being, you know, why, why was this book asked to be removed? See if we can start to look at these books kind of maybe in that light, see, see if we can figure out, you know, talk about what's, what's going on. So I've been yammering for a while, so I'm going to pass the, I'm going to pass the, the mic over to you, so to speak. Yeah. So I guess then I'll start with my my first pick then, I I chose Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn because 
when I saw this book on the list, I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> why? How? What happened? And so we have a story from Florida, and it's about this well-known group who has decided to do a lot of these campaigns against books. Uh, there was, I believe, 156 books were challenged and five were removed. And so Gone Girl was one of those. And it was removed from, I believe, the high school library. Was it also removed from the younger library as well? Yes, I believe so. Which to me, while I I was going to say, while I do not believe in just kind of arbitrarily removing books, I want to figure, I would like to know how it ended up in the middle school libraries in the first place. Because while now, I was reading I was reading adult books when I was in middle school, but Gone Girl is a it's not written for middle schoolers no. and not just because it's like oh it's inappropriate. It's like it's just that's not the targeted audience at all. Like I'm not sure how it ended up there. Yeah. So I feel like with that one you could be like, oh well well uh, I I guess, but like with the high school it doesn't really as make no. as much <laughs> doesn't make really sense. So at, at any rate, at, most people know this book. They're familiar with this, like, perfect couple, and they are living their lives. But, you know, of course, this being, like, a mystery thriller, you, like, scratch the surface and you realize there's a lot of terrible things going on. And so the wife goes missing, and we are reading her diary of, like, their marriage, and you're wondering, basically, did the husband do it the, the whole time? There's an excellent plot twist. I will not tell you what that is. If you have avoided that up to this point, you deserve an award, first off. <laughs> um, but, yes. but secondly, it's an excellent plot twist. And um, I want you to fully experience that because I did because I had mm-hmm. no idea. And when I read it, I was like, oh, and everyone's like, Kendra, this has been out for years. How are you? <laughs> how are you just now reading it? Anyway, I really enjoyed the plot twist and how it played with your expectations a lot. I feel like since this book has come out, there have been a lot of similar books that have come out and everyone's like, oh, they're just doing this thing. But this really at the time it came out was the book and because it was very clever, you know, and I enjoyed it. Again, I wouldn't recommend it for people with more sensitive sensibilities. There is, you know, a content warning for violence, violence against women, other things, etc. But um, yeah, I just I I really love that plot twist. And I was listening to the audiobook and the oh, way the I love the audio. Oh my word, she just like mm, it's so good. I cannot tell mm. you how good <laughs> the audiobook is. Um but yes. Ugh. Yes, I oh, you know, I mean Gone Girl is one of my favorite books of all time. And I I mean my reactions when I read it the first time are the same. And what I just want to what I want to understand, because the news article about the school district in Florida that ended up removing this is that they had a list of 156 books that this group, which if any of you are keeping up with any of the banned book news, you will probably see Moms for Liberty pop up a lot. They are one of the biggest uh, groups right now that is advocating for a lot of books to be removed or censored from schools and libraries. But the school district kept 151 of the of the titles, and they removed five of them, including Gone Girl. And I don't know why. <laughs> like, I want, I, I mean, I can probably, if I wanted to dive into, like, their, the meeting minutes from the board meeting where this happened, I could probably do that. But I... <sighs> 
it doesn't make sense. Aside from, you know, aside from maybe realizing that this, you know, maybe isn't appropriate for a middle school library. But I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what their library looks like. I don't know exactly what grade levels it, yeah. it services. I don't know the ins and outs of it. But I'm just, yeah, I'm just like, why? Yeah, I feel like that's going to be a recurring theme. Why? Yeah, I was going to say, I do. I ask that a lot. Just why? <laughs> I feel like if you have, uh, you know, librarians going, why, like, you should pay attention. I feel like librarians, you know, you are professionals. This is your job. But people think that because they read books, that makes them book professionals. And that's not actually no. the case. Like librarians <laughs> do an intense amount of school for their, you know, as you know, being a librarian. Yeah. For me, I feel like it's so disrespectful to say that to librarians because you're like saying – you wouldn't go to a heart surgeon and be like, oh, no, I'm going to do the heart surgery because I it doesn't look that hard. You know, <laughs> like, why would you do that to a librarian? And so I feel like it's also disrespectful at the same time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is just my little rabbit trail on that. But um, yeah, I don't understand. But we will include again all the links to these articles that we're mentioning in the show notes so you can check them out as well. Yeah. All right. Um, before I jump into my first pick, um, let's go ahead and hear from our second sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> 
Okay, so my first pick um, is actually the book that prompted me to start to think about like, oh, hey, maybe this would be a good topic to do for the podcast. And I selected Monday's Not Coming by Tiffany D. Jackson. And we've talked about um, several of her books on the show before. We've talked about Monday's Not Coming before. This one has popped up specifically in a few different areas as a book that parents are trying to have removed from schools. It's a young adult book, and the main character is Claudia. Claudia's best friend is Monday, and they are inseparable. They have gone through school together, like, basically joined at the hip. And then when Claudia comes back from summer vacation, spending it with relatives, she, Monday is not there. She's, she doesn't call Claudia. She's not waiting, you know, she's not waiting for her at her, at her house. She's not at school. And Claudia is really worried. So, and she's like, something is wrong. And all of the, everyone else around her is like, is either A, unconcerned, or B, they seem like they maybe know something, but they're like, "Mm, not your business, don't, nothing you need to get involved with kind of thing. But Claudia is really drowning because she, Monday is her only friend. Monday is, has basically been her lifeline to get her through, to get her through school. Claudia has uh, learning difficulties and dyslexia. And before they get that addressed, she has Monday, you know, she has Monday help her with all of her school assignments so that no one knows that she's struggling. So Claudia is really, you know, she's really panicking. But everyone she talks to or tries to bring this up with, they're like, no, you need to, you know, I'm sure, you know, everything is okay. You know, Monday's parents are, you know, are divorced. Maybe she's living with her dad or living with another relative. Like, you know that there's something, there, there's something going on with Monday's family dynamic, but no one can give her an answer of what's going on. And so Claudia just keeps digging deeper and deeper because she feels like she's the only one who cares that her friend is missing. This book is heartbreaking. Oh my gosh. This book is, it's, it is a page turner. You know, when I said that COVID was killing my ability to focus, I was able to speed through this book actually pretty quickly. So if you need a, a, testimonial. I'm like, okay, I was able to finish this book while I was sick with COVID. And I was able to retain the the story and follow it and everything. So I think that, that that's a sign of a very of a very well written book. But it's like so many of Tiffany D. Jackson's books, it's not just, you know, this disappearance. There's so much other stuff happening. There's talks about where Monday's family lives, that she lives in public housing, that where families are being evicted because the government wants to come in and bulldoze the buildings and build something new. There's all the all the trigger warnings in this book for just, I don't want to give too much away, but just just know this book comes with a lot of trigger warnings. Take a reasonable guess as to what they what they might be, and you're probably accurate. Um, so I will I will say this: it's not a book for every reader. And I think going circling back to this discussion of banned books, what what frustrates me when people talk about wanting to remove these books is they're like, oh, this isn't appropriate for you know this age level, and it may not be appropriate for certain readers in a particular age 
level. But that's okay. Not every book is supposed to be written for every reader. Like, that's just not how any of this works. So, you know, is it entirely plausible that, you know, they're, you know, a family made a parent may decide, you know what, hey, this, I don't think my, I don't want my child reading this for X, Y, and Z reasons. Yeah, that's, that's plausible. It's an intense book. And it talks about some really difficult subject matter. But it's, also a valuable book because it's intense and talks about some difficult subject matter. There's a lot of value in this story. There really, truly is. And the link that I included in regards to this book being removed from a bunch of schools in, I think it was in Virginia, but the article is a, uh, I don't know, I can't, I don't know if it's written by a student or someone else, um, but they they said, look, I read this book. It's amazing. There is the people who who come to these who come to these board meetings. They find the passages that are guaranteed to elicit the strongest emotional response. So they may read a passage that contains that that has swearing, or there may be like if there's one scene in the book that has that has sexually explicit language in there. That's what they're going to read. But that's not what the book is about. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of a much larger story. And that's what people are, are, I would say that they're not getting it, but I think they do get it. They just don't care. <laughs> and yeah, it's, this story is, it, it's so much more than, you know, these little, these little snippets. It's authentic. It's realistic. I'm reading through it going, I'm like, yeah, honestly, that's kind of what high school sounded like. I mean, like, you know, being, being someone who went to high school and who, who still has strong enough memories of it, I can, you know, I can say, yeah, this is, this is authentic. This is, this is hitting, you know, this is very realistic. And that's why it resonates with so many readers because of its authenticity. And I mean, and yeah, I mean, this book is, yeah, it's been targeted for a few different reasons. Inappropriate language is the, is the big one, but I, it can't go without saying that it was written by a Black female author featuring Black female characters. The whole story centers around Black families. I mean, that has to play that has to play into one of the reasons why it's targeted. It really does. Yeah. And it amazes me that parents keep trying to ban books like this. I mean, obviously we we know why, but I mean, by saying it's not appropriate, you're idealizing what a teenage life should look like. And kids who do live lives like the main characters of Jackson's books aren't represented. And that representation is very important. And I it just there need to be more books like this so that even if you don't live the air quotes ideal life that these groups are talking about, like you still can see yourself in books. And that's something I know Jackson has talked about in interviews as well. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. When when you are trying to remove books like this, you're sending a very clear message about mm -hmm. the type of child that matters, mm -hmm. the type of student, type of reader, whoever it may be. You're sending a very clear message about who matters. And it's not the people that would find that would see themselves centered in this book. But that being said, I mean, you know, I loved this book. It is a solid, solid, solid young adult thriller. It is entirely appropriate for the age level to which it is written. And I just there's no reason why this book needs to be removed. 
absolutely none. So again, that's Monday's Not Coming by Tiffany D. Jackson. And so my second pick is a nonfiction title, and that is The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. And I listened, I believe I listened to the 10th anniversary edition. Um, I can't remember if the audiobook covers that or not, but the 10th anniversary edition is the one that I would recommend because it is updated. Uh, this book came out to much acclaim because what Michelle Alexander does is she looks at really um, incarceration in America and how it is very much like a business. And that drives a lot of how prison works in this country. And it is such an important book for this ongoing, you know, conversation about incarceration. It's, it's such a key text. And it is something that should be read and studied. But as with all of the stories on today's episode, people want to ban it. And there's more than one uh, for this particular book that's on the list that we'll link in the show notes that um, Pen America has put out. So this was put up for removal at the at a school district in Pennsylvania. Again, that will be linked down below. And it was also um, on this list uh, that went out in Texas. And so it was the Klein Independent School District uh, book removals. There's a bunch of different books mentioned. And like in this letter that we will link, that this is part of that same theme, uh, that it's books that are about the history of racism in this country and books by LGBTQ folks, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, this book is just... I think it makes people uncomfortable, quite frankly, because they have to reassess their view of things and how incarceration works. And so this book is, I mean, brilliant. And it's just really shameful that it's on these lists. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's, again, <laughs> the the recurring theme. It's issues of especially history of racism and also how it's perpetuated Nowadays, this is the type of stuff that is getting pulled because parents or even legislators, like, I mean, how many, you know, how many state representatives are we seeing that are coming out with these with these lists of books saying that they don't want schools in their state teaching this information? They don't want them teaching, quote unquote, critical race theory because they don't want students to feel guilty for any reason. And it's like, that's not what this is about, <laughs> Yeah, and there are plenty of students who have family members who are in prison or who have been incarcerated or maybe they've experienced the, you know, the juvenile system. And this is important information that is completely age appropriate. I mean, people, high school students do research projects on different topics all of the time. This would be completely appropriate for that. And that's why it would be in a school library as a resource for students in their education which is there, this is very much part of. Yeah, and a lot of schools are using using that particular book as part of the actual curriculum mm -hmm. as well. You know, it's a very well-regarded work of nonfiction that, you know, that has a lot of information to offer. And yeah, remove, removing the book from the school libraries doesn't change anything. It just means less people are aware of that his aware of that history and it's that's that's not a good thing it doesn't it doesn't change what happened it does it and it just perpetuates the same thing continuing to happen because we're trying to keep so many people in the dark yeah 
about about this history. And like we've talked about, it does harm different marginalized communities. And there's also classism there as well, because the students who are more likely to use school libraries don't have the funds to get books themselves. And so mm-hmm. this is such a, a intersectional issue. And I think that, you know, you could just see by the selections of books that we've picked today is that it's just, it's, I don't know, a bounding problem. It's a huge problem that I just am speechless a lot of the time. You know, I'll read another article and I'll just be like, again, what? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So my second pick is The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration and in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. All right. And then real quickly, my second pick is another book that I have mentioned a couple of times on this show. It's a young adult book called White Rabbit by Caleb Rorig. And I, while I wasn't able to find an article that specifically mentioned why this book was removed, like, like there wasn't an angry parent that came that came up holding this book at a board meeting and reading passages from it. But it was part of a larger movement in Tennessee from the Collierville School District to remove LGBTQ books from the library shelves. This book is really, again, another top-notch young adult thriller. It takes place over the course of a single night. The main character's name is Rufus, and he's already having a bad night to begin with because his ex-boyfriend has just shown up and was like, hey, we need to talk. And Rufus is like, um, can we not? And so in the middle of all of that happening, Rufus gets a call from his half-sister, April. She is begging him for help because she was at a party and she doesn't know what happened, except now she woke up, found herself covered in blood, holding a knife beside her boyfriend's dead body. That's a problem (laughs) on so many levels. And she's telling Rufus, like, he's the only one that can help her because she doesn't know what happened. And he's just like, oh, God. So he goes to find her and his ex-boyfriend, Sebastian, he's he's coming along too. And so this all takes place over the course of a single night to figure out what happened. And again, it's intense. It's gritty, especially like it, for me, I'm like, I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, I know, you know, it's a young adult thriller. Like even for an adult thriller, it was, I'm like, whoa, this, this is, there's a lot happening here. But it's so well written. And this book, I mean, it's one of those books where I'm like, I, you can't, I don't remember the exact content of it, like, in terms of like, oh, is there sexually explicit material in there? And it's like, the book takes place over the course of a single night while they're trying to figure out if his half-sister murdered anyone. There isn't time (laughs) for sexually explicit language here. So, you know, it's... You know, this it's basically this book has been listed as one that's been pulled with every other book that these districts are looking for that have LGBTQ themes in them. And it's just sad. And it's, you know, it's, it's disappointing on so many levels. But it's, it's just like, you know, you, these, you can't even these people can't even do their own research. They're just looking for for a particular subject heading. And then just pulling these books and just indiscriminately just kind of pulling them. So, yeah, it's I, like this book, you know, it is its own its own story and whatnot. But, um, you know, with the rate at which books are being pulled, you can almost substitute like almost any book and it's going to be the same thing. There's it's a mass push to get this type of content, to remove it from schools, to 
you know, delegitimize LGBTQ people, people who are not white, and just to further further marginalize them. And it's really unfortunate. But, you know, I mean, that these are the books that we need to be reading. These are the books people want to want to have removed. So these are the books we need to be putting on hold. So, you know, if you're not a library employee, or even if you are, you know, if you if any of these books, you're like, wow, that sounds really interesting, put them on hold at your library. You know, show them that there are people interested in these books. If they don't have it, ask them if they can purchase one for the collection, or ask them if they can get it from another library for you. This is how we can, one of the ways we can help push back against people who say, that there isn't a need for books like this in the community is librarians can show them numbers. We can show them circulation numbers and be like, yes, we've had more people checking this out. We've gotten three, you know, however many requests in the last X months for this. You know, we can show them concrete numbers to say that these books are very much wanted. So if you're if you're looking for a way to do your part, that's a really easy one to do. Request the books from your local library and then write a nice letter to the to the library's director and their board of trustees, because that is also very helpful. That's a, that's a great tip. I, I always try to check out a ton of things, even if I'm not going to read all of them. It's still like, you know, I support this book. And I mean, it's a it's a great way. You know, I feel like people make fun of people for checking out a ton of books they may not get through, but it does help like statistics. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. Sometimes that's, you know, that's the only thing that some of the decision makers are looking for. They, they want numbers. So give them, give them numbers, give them positive numbers. All right. Well, as I mean, as you can probably tell, I, and as I've indicated before, I could go on for hours about this. <laughs> and this is probably why I don't get invited to too many parties. Because <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stand on the table and start ranting about banned books at the next get together I'm invited to. <laughs> it, you know, it's a good job. You know, it's like a superhero of the book world. Yeah, we try. <laughs> wish super. I wish superheroes got paid more. You know that is very true. Between that and teachers, it's like oh man, most important professions. Anyway, I'll walk around that <laughs> that rabbit trail and move forward um, because we have some great new releases to chat yes. about. Yes, talk about yours first because I am very excited <laughs> about this one. Okay, so this book sounds just fantastic. So it's called. Uh, the Getaway by Lamar Giles. And it's about Jay, who is uh, living in one of the best resorts. Uh, it's called Karloff Country. And a lot of people come there for vacation. He just, you know, uh, lives there. That's where he lives. And he has like an after school job. But you know, the world starts really tanking outside of the theme park. And what starts happening is like some of his friends disappear. And then a bunch of uh, really wealthy people start arriving at Karloff country, but they're not leaving. So the world is going into chaos, but people have kind of decided this is where they want to spend the end of their days at this theme park. So not only does he have to kind of figure out what is going outside, but also where do his friends go? It just sounds like a great thriller. Yeah. And the cover is just stunning. Creepy. It's so creepy. <laughs> what two great descriptors. <laughs> I know. Stunning. Creepy. Yeah. No, this is a book, um, I think for longtime listeners, you've heard me talk about my love of creepy stuff. Like you would probably see this cover and go, yeah, Katie would probably like that. 
All right. So the book that I picked for new releases is called Next of Kin by Kia Abdullah. And this is out on September 20th. And the reason why I picked this is because I read her debut novel earlier. God, was that earlier this year? I think it was. May have been on the cusp between the end of last year, beginning of this year. But her debut novel was called Take It Back, which... yeah, I seem I seem to be um, I've been going for a lot of like gut punch type of suspense novels. This one's a gut punch or that one was a gut punch with all of the trigger warnings, but it was so well written and so nuanced and it was just oh my gosh, it was amazing. So I did not even know her her next book was coming out until I was pulling this together and I just went, oh, okay, I'm gonna put this one in here. So next of kin um, features Layla Sayed who receives a call that her brother-in-law calls her and says that his son's nursery has called to ask him where his son Max is. And Layla was supposed to drop Max off at at daycare this morning, but she forgot. So she's going, what happened? And so what follows is a... Uh, is a very explosive, high-profile trial. So, legal thriller. Um, I forgot to mention that about her first book. That is also very much a legal thriller. And this, and it's a really intense trial that's going to tear the family apart. But as is the case with just about everything that we talk about on the show, there is more there than meets the eye. Yeah, so this book sounds like it's going to have the same level of emotion, the same level of intensity, and suspense and heart and it oh, it just it her writing from from take it back was was so good and i am so excited to read this one and again that is next of kin by kia abdullah and that comes out on september 20th well uh, that is our show so thanks so much to everyone for listening and thanks of course to our wonderful sound editor jen zink And she always makes us sound great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) For our show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. For more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And if you'd like to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions, uh, definitely reach us at redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me, Kendra, at Twitter and Instagram at kdwinchester. And you can find Katie on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye.